Good morning. Before church this morning, my wife texted a friend of ours to let him know that I'd be in front of you today. His name is Pastor Larry. He texted her back, tell Josh to step aside and let God speak. In the spirit of that, Pastor Larry, before he gives a sermon, would tell a joke. So I thought he'd take a page out of his playbook. We'll see how it goes. You only have to put up with me for a little bit. So there's these two young men, and they're having a conversation. One of them looks at the other and says, I have this cousin that I'd, I think you'll like. I think you'll really like her. She's pretty. She's smart. And I want, I want you to go out on a date with her. The other one says, no, no, no I, can't, I can't do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't do blind dates. He says, oh, come on. I know you'll really like her. She's really pretty. She's very, very smart. Tell you what, do what I do when I go out on a blind date. And I, I, just, I can't go through with it. He said, well, well, what's that? He says, what I do is when I, I go up there, when, when I see her, if I decide, you know what, I can't do this, I, I grab my throat and I go, <coughs> and I fake an asthma attack. He's like, yeah, I, 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 could, I, could, I could totally do that. All right, all right. So Saturday comes along. He goes, knocks on the girl's door. She opens it. He looks at her and he's like, wow, she's beautiful. For him? Love at first sight. For her? <laughs> Our theme this morning is love is a verb. Would you agree with me that in our culture today that we overuse the word love? Time Magazine says it's time to change the meaning of the word love. We use it so openly, we throw it around in so many different ways. I love my wife, I love my children, I love my truck, I love that movie, I love tacos. But when I say I love my wife, it means I want to spend time with her. I want what's best for her. I want a relationship with her. When I say that I love tacos, I have no interest in having a relationship with tacos. I don't have tacos' best interest at heart. When I say I love tacos, I mean I like them when I want to eat them. And when I'm full, whatever happens with the leftovers happens with the leftovers. I don't care. So those are some different ways that we use the word love in our language. And I was thinking, you know, when somebody says, I love you, I might think, well, do they really love me, or is it a taco love? According to the dictionary, love means a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person, a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. So in other words, this is defined as a noun. A feeling. I say let's use the word love as a verb and prove through our actions what we mean. 
In fact, the first time the word love is used in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. So it's Hebrew. The Hebrew word for love is ahava. The word means an act of doing, and it's directly tied with an action and obedience. The root word of ahava is ahav, and that term in Hebrew means to give. So the real biblical definition of love is that it wants more to receive than it does, I'm sorry, it wants more to give than it does to receive. Now thinking about this, we look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. And today we're going to look at verses 9 through 21. Now this is just a small section of, of uh, chapter 12. It's 13 verses. But in 13 verses, Paul gives us no less than 30, three zero commands, 30 exhortations, all dealing in love. Love, the very heart, the very motive of our Christian life. So we're not going to be covering all 30 of these commands, though. So what we're going to do is I want to break them down in three different parts or three different levels. The first one is love in the family. Now, when we say love in the family, we're talking about Christian family, the body of Christ, our church. Okay? The second one is love among hostility. Now, this is love amongst the world we live in, those who may be hostile towards us. And then finally, the third level being love among our enemies. This is when someone is really poised against us. So let's take a look at the first one, love in the family. We'll look at Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 9. Paul writes here, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So verse 9 is showing us the quality of love that we must show to one another. It says that love must be sincere. Other versions of the Bible say that love must be without hypocrisy. Well, what is hypocrisy? It's taken from the Greek word hypocrites. This word is a compound noun made up of two Greek words that literally translate as an interpreter from underneath. We can actually look at this by... It's an actor, basically. It's a stage person who performs on a stage. And in Greek times, what they would do is they'd have a mask that they'd wear. It's right there. They'd wear that over their face, and they'd speak through it. So they're speaking from underneath the mask. That was called a hypocrite, which translates to hypocrite, hypocrisy. So when they're wearing the mask and speaking through it, they're not their real selves. They're being fake. So love has to be sincere. It can't be fake. Another one thing I want to look at is the word love here. 
which word in the Greek language is Paul using? See, we know that we only have one word in the English language for love. In Greek, they have many. We're going to talk about four of them today. But the one that Paul is using in this particular verse is agape. Why is that important? It's important because in the book of Romans, up until this point, he only uses the word agape when he's referring to God's love for us. This is the first time he uses it to talk about how we need to love one another. So he uses this term agape. We need to love each other as God loves us. In fact, this is what Jesus said the world would be able to distinguish us as his people. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love, agape, one another. So I spoke about the English language. We use it in so many different ways. We only have one word for it. In Greek, there's four different words we're going to talk about. The first one is eros. That's a physical love. The next one is philia. That's love for humans, other humans. It's care, respect, compassion for their needs. And then storge. That's a familial love, like a love that a parent would have for a child. Then there's agape, the gold standard of love. This is a love that is unconditional that God gives us. In fact, it says agape is the term that defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is his ongoing, outgoing, self-sacrificing concern. God gives it without condition. That's the love we need to have within our Christian family. So we're all refreshed on these Greek words. We know what they mean. So we need to make sure that our love within the church, within our Christian family, is a real sincere love. Not a fake love. Not a love that we give a nice compliment and then when they walk away, we stab them in the back with gossip. A real good example of this in the Bible, Judas Iscariot. The same night that he sold Jesus to, for two silver pieces, he meets him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And how does he greet him? With a kiss. A sign of affection. But Judas didn't have love. It was fake. I really want to drive that point. Love must be sincere. But then the next command he gives, hate what is evil. Well, that's interesting. He goes from love to hate. Opposite. Completely opposite sides. Love this, hate that. But why? Well, part of sincere love is sincere hate. What do I mean? Well, God hates what's evil. He hates unrighteousness. That he loves good. We are created in God's image. So we need to love as God loves and hate as God hates. Now let's look at verse 11. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Well, that's really the point. Not losing our fervor or our passionate feeling towards God. We are serving the Lord. Our motive is to please Him, to honor Him. It's that love for Him our service to him that spills out into loving others. And if we love the Father, 
then we love the Father's children. This is the family love that we're talking about. And we really want to get this. We really need to learn this. The reason is because that's level one. Level two and three are much harder. Why are they harder? Because if we can't love each other, how can we love people who don't love us? How can we love people who are evil toward us? So let's look at level two. Love among hostility. Starts in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil, repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your, evil, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we see in verse 14 that Paul makes a noticeable pivot, a noticeable change from love in the family to love in, among hostility or the world. When we look at the book of Romans, who is he speaking to? Yes, it's written for our benefit. We can read, read it and benefit from it. But he's actually writing to believers in Rome. And Rome was becoming a very hostile place for believers. It was going to be very hard for them to continue to live out their Christian beliefs because of the adverse environment. So how do we show love while being persecuted, pressured from this unbelieving world? Well, let's break it down. In the verses we read, Paul gives a comparison. So let's read a couple of those. 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, the treatment we give others should be independent from the treatment they give us. So they curse, we bless. They hate, we love. They seek revenge, we will not. I got to tell you, that looks good up there, right? Looks good on paper, as they say. It's impossible. It is impossible unless we have Jesus Christ. If we try to do all that right there on our own, we will fail. Loving people that are good to us, that are friendly to us, that's easy. But loving people that are hostile towards us, that aren't sympathetic to us or sympathetic to our needs, speaking from experience, it's hard. But if we have Jesus, we will never get to the point where we drop to our knees 
and say, I'm all out. I'm empty. I have no more love to give. Because Jesus is a constant pouring out of love on us that overflows and should be flowing out to everyone around us. Verse 18. If it is possible, now this is important. We're going to look at this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. Christian. Non-Christian. It doesn't matter. We live at peace with everyone. What is the requirements to be a peacemaker? Well, you know, both parties have to want it if we're going to create peace. That's why the scripture says, if it is possible. Because quite frankly, sometimes it isn't possible. The second thing is, we need to initiate it. Well, I don't want to call them. I don't want to talk to them. They hurt me. They need to call me. No, we need to initiate it. And if they put up their hand and say, talk to the hand because I'm not listening, we aren't responsible for that. We're only responsible for what the motives in our heart is. But the key point, never let the ability to live at peace be on your side of the fence. Now we come to the third level. Love among our enemies. Let's read verse 19. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't have any enemies. I don't. The dictionary defines enemy as one that is antagonistic to another. <laughs> I have enemies now. I have a lot. Why? Because I'm human? Because I'm Christian? If we love Christ with all our heart, if we follow him passionately, fervently, we serve him enthusiastically, which means we cannot stop talking about him. It's not going to be good for us in this world. People don't want to hear it. If we think for one second that this world's going to stand up and give us a standing ovation for our godly Christian life, we're sadly mistaken. Persecution is simply the byproduct of the Great Commission. So what do we do when evil is upon us? Do we strike back? Do we hit harder? Do we plot ways to make their lives more miserable? It'd be fun. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, if your enemy wrongs you, by each of his children a drum. There was a housekeeper who worked for this family for 10 years. One day, the owner comes up to her, gives her paycheck, her last paycheck, with no notice, no reason, just get out, you're done. She quietly picks up her stuff, grabs her purse, takes out a $5 bill, walks to the family dog and throws it by the dog. And the owner's like, well, why did you do that? She said, 
because I never forget a friend. All these years, he's helped me clean your dishes. <laughs> you know, we laugh because vengeance is fun. It's entertaining. It's satisfying. It satisfies our flesh, our base nature as humans. So why should we love them? Why should we forgive them? Why should we feed, clothe, and bless them? Jesus commanded it. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus commanded it. Jesus practiced it. They insulted him. They beat him up. They put a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head. They hung him on the cross. And when he was up there, did he say, Father, kill all of them? And then look at the crowd and say, three days from now, I'm coming back and hunt you all down? No. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus practiced it. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, describes Jesus in this way. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus commands it. He practiced it. Third one, people will notice because people don't do it. You see that? He just treated him so bad and he, he prayed over him. He gave him a gift. People are going to notice. No one does it. Let's look at verse 20 again. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Sign me up. Oh, wait, that's not what that means. There are different theological reasonings on that, and we know that that's a quote from the book of Proverbs. Paul's quoting the book of Proverbs. It's an illustration. It's a reference to an old Egyptian customs in antiquity. When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, they would take a cloth, put it on their head. That was for insulation. They'd take a bowl, small bowl of burning coal, they'd place it on top of that, and that's their public display. And it represented burning pain and shame of guilt. So it was their way of saying, I am really sorry for how I wronged you. So what we can learn from that is that when we love our enemy, we don't retaliate, when we pray for them, we bless them, they're going to feel shame in their hatred towards us. Someone's going to say, man, I was so mean to that guy, and he was so nice to me. There's an example of this, David and Saul. Saul tried to kill David. Saul hunted David. One day, Saul goes in a cave. David's already in there. Saul doesn't know. 
David's men says, kill him. God delivered him into your hands. David says, no, that's one of God's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. So instead he sneaks up on Saul, cuts off a piece of his robe. Saul exits the cave. Dave exits, David exits the cave. Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I love you. Saul wept. He says, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. That is an example of heaping burning coals on someone's head. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, says, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. As humans, we naturally build walls. We want to stay within our comfort zone. Putting ourselves out there could get us hurt. We need to be vulnerable. We need to remember that God pours a continuous stream of love upon us. Let that stream come out and flow out from us around everyone we're there. Because if we do that, we can continue to overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love that you've shown us, for the sacrifice, Jesus, so that we could live. We know that it's so hard to show the kind of love that you want us to show. And we know that with your help we can do it. Please help us love. Love in our family, love in our world, and love amongst our enemies. We thank you so much. We love you. We ask that you be with us this week. I'm going to pray all these things to your son, Jesus Christ.